Well, friends, keep the passage open there at Micah. So just turn back a few pages and keep Micah 5 open. We'll come into Matthew 2 uh, towards the end of the message this morning. Take out your service sheet as well. If you're someone that likes to take notes, there is plenty of space for you to do that this morning. Let's pray and ask for God's uh, help as we seek not just to understand his word, but to put it into action uh, in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your mercy and your faithfulness. You can teach us to love mercy and to walk in faithfulness. And we pray, Father, that you would help us understand your word this morning in this lead up to Christmas, that we might see again your faithfulness and that we might receive it ourselves and walk in it this day and each day in the lead up to Christmas and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, many in Sydney, young and old, watched in awe as this year's Christmas tree went up in Martin Place there in the city. I haven't physically seen it with my own eyes just yet. I've only seen photos on, you know, the What's On Sydney page uh, on the internet. But it boasts to be the largest Christmas tree in all of Australia. It apparently is decorated with more than 110,000, yes, 110,000 LED lights. It has a 3.4 metre star on the top that changes colour. It has 330 specially created glossy, colourful baubles. There are 800 branches on Australia's largest Christmas tree dressed with 15,000 native Australian flowers. Apparently it is bright and it is beautiful. But it is nothing compared to the largest Christmas tree in the world, which can be found floating in the city lagoon of Rio de Janeiro. It stands at 85 metres, overseeing the beautiful city of Rio de Janeiro. Now, it's hard not to think big when it comes to Christmas. Big Christmas trees, houses adorning our streets with big displays of Christmas lights. Kids always get excited when they start to see the big Christmas presents appearing under the Christmas tree, and we're going to have one on display here on Christmas Eve as well. And whether you're like me or not, some of our waistlines tend to get a little bit larger at this time of the year as well. Christmas is a big deal, a huge deal. And yet there is also this high contrast that's clear, especially at Christmas. As we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace, it's clear that our our world is still broken and not at peace. Some are grieving the loss of family or friends or work colleagues, and it doesn't feel right to celebrate at this time of year. And for every, every family member drowning under a sea of wrapping paper, There are many families continuing to feel the real drought of poverty and pain. How ought we think about these two sides of Christmas? Now, it might be tempting to elevate one over the other. We might elevate the hugeness of Christmas and forget about those in real pain and need and and write them off as Christmas Grinches that we saw last week. Or we might do the opposite. We might elevate the humble and write off any celebratory displays of Christmas as our sellout 
to the evils of Western consumerism. But I want to suggest that we embrace the contrast. Christmas has always been and is always going to be a beautiful mix of the huge and humble and we need both. We need both to fully understand what Christmas is all about. And I think Micah chapter 5 shows us that beautiful contrast and why we need both. Now Micah, in case you've forgotten a little bit about him, is a prophet in the land of Israel in Jerusalem some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Micah prophesied at a time when God's people had abandoned all godliness and God warns over and over again in Micah of his judgment. Not that his judgment is going to come if the people of Jerusalem don't repent, but that his judgment is at hand and there's nothing they can do about it. So you read in chapter 5 verse 1, Now daughter who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief, a siege is set against us, they are striking the judge of Israel or the ruler of Israel, the king of Israel, on the cheek with a rod. Israel is already under judgment. Their current ruler is being slapped on the face, showing that they are under shame and insult. But even in the midst of judgment, Micah says there is still hope. And in verse 2 to verse 5, we see that Micah predicts that, yes, this evil situation that God's people are under, it will continue for the foreseeable future until Bethlehem, the town, the birth town of King David, gives birth to a new ruler and then there will be hope. Have a look at verse 2 again. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Therefore, he will abandon them until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of Yahweh, in the majestic name of Yahweh, his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. And in case you haven't realized that here is one of the most direct predictions of the birth of Jesus in the Old Testament. And what I want you to see first is just how huge the event of Jesus' birth actually is. The one that is to come, says Micah, is going to be a new ruler over Israel, verse 2. He will shepherd his people in the strength of Yahweh the Lord, verse 4. He will bring security, verse 4, something that has been lacking in the presence of God's people at this time. He will bring peace, verse 5. And his greatness, we're told, will extend to the ends of the earth, in verse 4 as well. They are very similar predictions to what we have already seen this month in 2 Samuel 7 and Isaiah 9. But the most huge thing that Micah reveals about this coming Messiah King in Micah 5 verse 2 is where he comes from. And not just from Bethlehem, we will get to that, but his existence precedes Bethlehem. Verse 2, his origin 
is from antiquity, from eternity. Now, whether the people of Micah understood at the time how huge that verse is, we can't know. They may have thought Micah was just talking about the ancient line of King David. But we who live this side of the New Testament can see this verse is saying so much more. The origin of the Messiah King precedes his physical birth. His origin is from eternity. He was there at the beginning. Mighty God, as Isaiah 9 puts it, the eternal companion of the Father from all eternity. But at the right time, this one would step out of eternity into time to save and renew his people. And I think that's why the angel, some 700 years after this prophecy, would appear to Joseph and tell Joseph, you are to name Mary's baby, not just Jesus, but you're to also give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God in the flesh. And Jesus himself knew this to be true. He knew this about himself, his divine origins, his eternal origins. In that conversation in John 14 with Philip, when Philip said, Jesus, just show us the Father in heaven and that will be enough for us. And Jesus replies to him, Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Jesus, God's promised Messiah King, is Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is a huge event. It's not just about nice cute babies lying in a manger. It's not just about nice fairy lights and big Christmas trees. Christmas is huge because the creator of all things stepped out of eternity into physical time and space to be with us and to be for us. Our family next year is planning on some long service leave and we hope to take our caravan up the coast of Queensland to the top and back. And if you've ever driven north, you'll discover that we Australians love big things and we've made memorials to big things. Driving through Coffs Harbour, you'll see the big banana, that's right. Further north, you will, well, if you take a detour to Tamworth, you'll see the big guitar. And then further north in Ballina, you'll see the big prawn. And then the further north you go, you'll come across the big pineapple, the big bundy, the big cane tone, the big mango, the big crocodile, the big cassowary, and the big Captain Cook. We Australians love celebrating big things. And so we of all people ought to celebrate Christmas because it is huge. The infant lying in a manger, struggling to breathe, is the very one who breathed life into existence at the beginning. Christmas is a huge event. And so as Chris said last week, Christians in particular don't find their joy at Christmas in some vague, nebulous Christmas spirit, but we find our joy in the fact that the Christ of Christmas stepped out of eternity into time to be with us and for us. Now we could end the talk right there, but we would also miss one of the other key elements, the humble element of Micah chapter 5. Christmas is also a humble 
of them. Yes, the Messiah of Micah 5 will come with divine glory. His greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. But Micah also says quite clearly that his entrance into time will be quite ordinary and humble. For he will be born in Bethlehem. As Micah says, the smallest, the least among all of the clans of Israel. Yes, Bethlehem, we know, was King David's hometown, but it wouldn't have been a stretch for most people to assume that when God himself would step out of eternity into time, the least he would do was do that in Jerusalem, the city of David, where the palace of David was, the temple of God was there, there'd be plenty of people around to see God's entrance into the world. And we know from Matthew chapter 2 that that's exactly where the Magi first go to see the newborn king. But when they get to Jerusalem, they discover that Jerusalem is just as corrupt in their day as it was in Micah's day. Yes, there is a king on the throne in Jerusalem, King Herod, great in name, literally, but unlike the greatness that extends to the ends of the earth predicted in Micah, his rule is nothing like that. And so the Magi are told by the, the leaders of Jerusalem that the true Messiah, the true King of Israel, is to be born in the humble town of Bethlehem, fulfilling Micah 5. And so that's where the Magi go. And we know from the other accounts of Jesus' birth, Luke in particular, that Jesus' physical birth was just as humble as the town that he was born in. Luke says that Mary had to lay the Messiah King in a manger, a feeding trough for animals because there was no room anywhere else for him. And I reflected on that during the week. You know, there was a census and that's why they all had to go back to Bethlehem. So Mary and Joseph would have had family and friends there, but their family and friends couldn't make room for Jesus. Now, putting aside angels and moving stars, everything else about the birth of Jesus is quite humble and ordinary. Why would God enter into the very world that he had made, do it in such ordinary and humble means? Well, later in his ministry, Jesus had this to say about himself, echoing the shepherd idea of Micah chapter 5. And he said this, you remember, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. At the time of Micah, the, the weak and corrupt king of Judah was having his cheeks slapped around by his enemy as judgment from God. Some 700 years on, in a, a moment of sheer love and grace, a new king would have his cheeks slapped as well, but not because he was weak and corrupt, but because he wanted to save others. Remember, Jesus also said, the good shepherd, no one takes my life from me, but I freely lay it down of my own accord. Christmas is the time for a lot of expenditure, isn't it? Some we can afford and some we can't afford. And so January is often a time of debt management uh, for many families. On average in Australia, each household spends $4,000 
at Christmas time on Christmas Day. Much of that on credit cards. Can you imagine if your bank just wiped clean your Christmas debt? A thrill of hope? A weary soul rejoices? But that's what God offers us every Christmas indeed. He says, I have come in humble, ordinary means to lay down my life so that you might be free, that you might be forgiven, that you might have an eternal safety. Remember in Micah chapter 5, it talks about this new king would bring security to his people. Listen again to what Jesus said as the good shepherd. I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That is true security when you're safe in the good shepherd's hand. Yes, Jesus was the great king. Yes, Christmas was a huge event, God stepping into time. But he didn't step into time to bask in his own glory like Herod the Great. Rather, he used his greatness to give to others. Now, you might be feeling a little humbled at the moment in your life, feeling a little bit small and insignificant like Bethlehem, but it is precisely to those who have been humbled, to the, to the lowly, that Jesus came to identify with you, but more than that, to save you. Christmas is a huge and humble event, and we need to see both. We need to receive both. So what does that look like? How ought our response be to this huge and humble nature of Christmas? Well, there I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 2. And there we see two significant characters in that first Christmas event and how they respond to the birth of the newborn king. The first I'm calling a disturbed Herod. A disturbed Herod. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when Herod hears the news of the birth of a new king, we're told that he is literally disturbed. Not because he forgot to give a Christmas present to Mary and Joseph, but because they didn't give him a Christmas present. He is disturbed because this new arrival is a threat to his power and to his rule. In verse 8 of Matthew 2, he says that he wants to know where this new king has been born so that he can worship him, but we know that he wants to get rid of him. And when the Magi outwit him in verse 16, we're told that he flies into a rage. I'm sure many of us know what that looks like. We've been there too. And in his rage, he wants to murder all the male children two years and younger just to make sure that he gets his boy. Now, you may not be a murderer. I'm assuming you're not. But often at Christmas, the spirit of Herod can quite easily dwell within us, can I say. Maybe you have seen it in you already this Christmas as you seek to park your car at Westfield, as you hear the endless repeat of Mariah Carey Christmas songs and you can feel the spirit of Herod welling up within you. They're all ruining my Christmas. But I'm sure there are also times, even if you know that Jesus is your king, 
that like Herod, you live as if you are still the king. That he is still Jesus, that is, just a child on a Christmas card, but you want to be the one that calls the shots at home, at work, in the YouTube viewing, whatever it may be. But friends, if we embrace the spirit of Herod at Christmas, if we seek to continue to want to be our own little kings, it will only lead to what Herod experienced, being dispersed. If we're all trying to be our own little kings, who really is going to be king when we get together? We all want to be king. So it'll inevitably lead to conflict, conflict within our own heart and mind, being disturbed. It'll lead to conflict with other people because I don't want you to be king because I'm king. But you don't want me to king because you're king. And it'll lead to being disturbed in our relationship with God because he really is king. And if we're pretending to be, then we're out of fellowship with him. Don't be a disturbed Herod this Christmas. Be more like the devoted Magi. In verse 11 of Matthew chapter 2, we read of their response. Have a look at it again, verse 11. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. They humbled themselves. Even though these Magi, some call them three kings, at least wise men, who could have boasted in their knowledge and insight into the universe, humbled themselves before a baby, or a child at least at this time, and worshipped him. And they devoted to Jesus what was precious to them, their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh. And as they do that, they are a living application of what Micah promised some 700 years previously about what the correct approach to God is. We didn't read it, but in Micah chapter 6, we hear these words. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. The wise men did that. The Magi did that. They humbled themselves before Jesus. And they didn't remain the same. They could have gone back to King Herod and dobbed in where the new king was so that Herod could get what he wanted. But we're told they went home a different way because having met the true king, life couldn't be the same for them. They honoured him in the way they walked. So can I encourage you this Christmas to embrace the humble. Receive, yes, your shepherd king, your saviour, but also walk humbly before him. Christmas is both huge and humble. And we need both. If you miss the hugeness of Christmas, the hugeness of God stepping out of eternity into time, you'll miss the biggest reason we have to celebrate. But if you miss the, the humble side of Christmas, you'll miss the very purpose of Christmas, that those who humble themselves before this King will receive everything that comes with it. Forgiveness, friendship, purity, Don't be a disturbed Herod this Christmas. Be a devoted Magi.
humble yourself before Jesus. Act justly. Love faithfully. Walk humbly with your God. And you know a great way that you can act justly and walk in faithfulness is to invite people to hear about the true act of justice and the true act of faithfulness and what God did that very first day. So invite your friends and your family to carol hymns, to Christmas Eve, to Christmas morning, all three of them, so that they can see what justice looks like. They can see what faithfulness looks like. And as we humble ourselves before God, we will know the true joy. Father, you have told us what is good, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly before our God. Father, you have already done that for us in your Son. You have humbled yourself, given your life for us, that we might live. Help us to humbly acknowledge and receive that again this Christmas and to hold it out. In a moment, we're going to finish our time together as we usually do by singing two final songs. In the last song, Bags Will Go Around, which is an opportunity